gracious God, give us the gift of your presence. Help us to pay attention. Amen. Please be seated. The poet Mary Oliver died this year. By all measures, a great poet, her death was a great loss. Mary Oliver told us that attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. To what do we pay attention? How often do we pay attention? To whom do we pay attention? This year, this Ash Wednesday, I find myself meditating on the question of presence. How are we present to one another? How are we present to ourselves? How is God present to us? It seems to me that both Jesus and the prophet Isaiah in today's readings are asking questions of attention, of presence. These readings are chosen for Ash Wednesday because Lent is an invitation to pay attention, to be a little more present. Lent comes as a reminder that faith is not simply about checking off a list of beliefs. Church is not about being seen on Sunday mornings or even Wednesday evenings. Christianity is a way of life. Or perhaps could we say, Christianity is a way of paying attention to life. Jesus and Jesus' ancestors taught a way of being present, present to one another, to ourselves, and to God. There's a contradiction in the way that we celebrate Ash Wednesday in the Episcopal Church. We listen to Bible stories as Jesus tells his followers not to disfigure their faces, And then we, who say we seek to follow Jesus, go ahead and smear ash on our foreheads. Isaiah asks, is this the fast I choose? To sit in sackcloth covered in ashes? And yet we do it anyway. Jesus cautions, beware practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. Jesus, as usual, gets right to the heart of the matter. Jesus asks us, How are we present to one another? Is our attention all about appearances? Or does the attention go deeper? There's a compliment that you often hear given to great leaders. I've been reading the autobiography of the Reverend Polly Murray, the first black woman ordained an Episcopal priest. As a young woman activist, long before she was ordained, Polly was given the opportunity to meet with the then First Lady. Polly Murray wrote these words about Eleanor Roosevelt. Whenever I was speaking to her, she gave me her complete attention, as if in that moment I was the most important person in her world. Polly received Eleanor Roosevelt's attention as a gift. Many great leaders become great through cultivating that gift by learning not to look over the shoulder of the person in front of them, by becoming present to the person with whom they're speaking. Presence can be a gift, can be received as such. Isaiah opens this question of attention to its consequences. What is the fast God chooses? 
What discipline does God choose for God's people to pay attention? Pay attention to the hungry, the naked, the oppressed. Fast in a way that gives bread to the poor. Pay attention to injustice. Yet more, pay attention to the person who has received injustice. Pay attention to your neighbor, your oppressed neighbor, your hungry neighbor, your homeless neighbor. Pay attention. Isaiah tells the people, God chooses a fast that asks them to be present to those who suffer. Our attention to one another has ethical consequences, real life and death significance at times. How are we present to one another? The scholar and writer Cornell West has said, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. If we are to do justice, if we are to become the repairers of the breach, the rebuilders of streets in which people live, if we are to do justice, If we are to love one another, as the old saying goes, we must also learn to love ourselves. For some of us, Jesus' admonition today, go into your room and shut the door, can sound terrifying. A recent study from the University of Virginia and Harvard tested how well people tolerate a few minutes of quiet time, a few minutes of being alone with their thoughts without devices or conversation or distraction. They tested a diverse group of ages from college students to octogenarians. They left them in the room alone. Most couldn't last more than six minutes. Age wasn't a determining factor. Without books, TV, conversation, or an iPhone, people of all ages asked to walk out of the testing room. The distractions are ever multiplying in our world, but the less we pay attention to ourselves, the less connected we are to how we are feeling, what we are thinking, the more terrifying time alone can become. The painful truth is that many of us pay attention to ourselves in terribly cruel ways. We become our own worst critics. Before I move far into this discussion, with your permission, I want to name something specific from my own experience. Ever since my college years, I've come to dread one aspect of Lent. As I've told many of you before, I went to college in Southern California It's a geography where body image messages are even more intense than they are everywhere else in the world. And I went to a Catholic college. Because Lenten practices are commonly, most traditionally, involve giving up some kind of food, usually a high-calorie food or food group, when I was a resident assistant, an RA, we had to have a special training just before Lent began. This Catholic college had learned to train the RAs to be especially vigilant during Lent because the season became an excuse to spiritualize eating disorders. If you will let a priest give you a word of admonition this Lent, let it be this. If you struggle with body image, if you struggle with food throughout the year, please do not choose a Lenten discipline that involves restricting calories. Choose another discipline. 
one that helps you to love your body, one that helps you to name what is going on, one that helps you to begin to feed your body and your soul. If you need help, I have some great colleagues who specialize in body image and eating therapy. I'd be happy to share their contact information. Whether you carry shame about food or body, or your shame comes from another experience or trauma, all of us carry shame. All of us. The researcher Brene Brown has written that all of us, all of us carry that shame. All of us have been shaped by loss, by pain. Brown says that she often wants to scream, yes, shame is tough to talk about. But the conversation isn't nearly as dangerous as what we are creating with our silence. We all experience shame. We're afraid to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more we have of it. Silence is dangerous. Silence begets more shame. If you have chosen a Lenten discipline you can't speak about, change it. Make your Lenten discipline trusting someone with your story. Even just one person. Even just the start of your story. If we avoid our stories, if we avoid being present to ourselves, we will remain unable to see that we are not the sum of the worst things that have happened to us. We are not the sum of the worst things we have done. The world is always ready to hand you terrible names for yourself, terrible narratives. We are always being tempted with the labels, bad mother, awful friend, worst colleague, bad husband. You get the gist. Brene Brown talks about cultivating a new relationship, a more gentle relationship with ourselves that can short circuit those narratives, those labels. Do we have the courage to believe we are enough? Could we dare to believe that we are worth the trouble? Could we treat ourselves the way we treat a dear friend? Could we say things to ourselves like, I know you feel bad about what you just said back there, what you did, but I still love you. Could we trust St. Paul when he tells us that we are not imposters? Could we trust God when God says to us, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased, could we trust someone close enough, close to us, with a story we haven't told, or a story we haven't told in a long time that is gnawing with us? When we have, could we go into our room, shut the door, and sit by ourselves with those thoughts? the thoughts that we are worth it, the thoughts that we are loved, the thoughts that we are known. Lent is a time when many of us choose to cultivate our attention to, quote, the spiritual stuff. We try and spend more time with God. We try and pray more, to read more of the Bible, to practice our faith. We might try and come to church more often. Don't let me dissuade you from that. Jesus' words about going into our room, shutting the door, they're not just about how we spend time with ourselves. Jesus begins the admonition with these words, when you pray, 
when you pray. Prayer is already assumed. Because for Jesus, the truth is, we are never truly alone. We're never left alone in that room with ourselves. God is always present. Always. The French Benedictine monk Henry Lasseau spent 25 years in India cultivating a practice of prayer and meditation, an encounter with God. Henry Lasseau was good at spending time by himself in a room. His practice was shaped by the ancient teachings of Christianity and in dialogue with Hindu and Buddhist masters. Lasseau wrote this, To pray is to take for granted that we live in the mystery of God. To take it for granted that we are immersed in the mystery of God and that this mystery envelops us and at the same time extends beyond us on every side. In God, as Acts says, in God we live and move and have our being. Prayer is nothing less than our whole relationship with the God who creates us, the one who keeps us in life. Prayer is an invitation to pay attention, yes, to God's presence, but also to the world around us, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to those who hurt. Frankly, there is something mysterious about prayer, about the intentional time we spend with the divine. The best meditation on this mystery, the best meditation on the mystery of God's presence to us, on the mystery of prayer, the best meditation I've read lately comes from the poet Mary Oliver. This is her short work, I Happen to Be Standing. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep half asleep in the sun? I know I can walk through the world along the shore or under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance in full self-attendance, a condition I can't really call being alive. Is prayer a gift or a petition or does it matter? The sunflowers blaze, maybe that's their way. Maybe the cats are sound asleep, maybe not. While I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. Then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why, and yet, why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought of the wren's singing. What could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. Mary Oliver. There are treasures in heaven stored up for you. God is already present to you, closer to you than your own breath. God knows us better than we know ourselves, loves us better than we will ever love ourselves. Lent is a time for paying attention. Lent is a time for letting go of the distractions. Maybe the distractions are simple, like television. Maybe the distractions are more complex. Old stories we tell ourselves, 
May this Lent come for you with the gift of presence. May you find yourself present to your neighbor, your spouse, your partner, your sister, your friend. May you be more present to the needs of the world. May you find yourself learning to be present to yourself, learning to be more gentle with yourself, learning to trust someone with yourself. And may you be surprised by the attention you are able to give to God, to your waking up and realizing that God is always already present to you. God is there in every moment. Every time is acceptable. A blessed Lent. Amen.